This inspiring message comes to you from Impact Church in Kingston, Ontario, where we are committed to living like Jesus and loving like Jesus. It is our prayer that this message blesses and enriches your life. For those that are maybe visiting with us or guests this morning, we've been doing a series for the last two and a half months called Unmasked. And the kind of purpose of the series was to kind of share with you guys something that God showed me nine years ago. Uh, when I, before we even actually moved here, uh, God had shown me a picture of the city and just a picture of some of the spiritual history of the city and what are, what are some of the influences or effects that are going on uh, from the enemy's camp and what do we need to know about in order to combat that, in order to understand how to deal with those things. And so for the last, feels like 5,000 weeks, um, we have been talking about that. Uh, which has been fun for us. It has been such a joyous occasion. Um, because the reality is, is we've had pushback ourselves, which is awesome. The enemy doesn't like me. I've come to the conclusion, the enemy really doesn't like me. And so... Um, it's okay because I don't think that highly of him. So, uh, so the feeling is mutual. So what we're going to do today is we're actually going to uh, just answer. Uh, we had nine questions, I think. Yes. And the questions are going to go up there, so you guys will be able to see them as we go through them. Uh, some of them are similar, but with a bit of a different bend to it. So we're going we're gonna to do our best we can to answer those questions this morning. And then at the end, we're going to take communion together and have a party. Awesome. You good? All right. And Question Lisa's number gonna, one. Lisa's going to just be Lisa. She's awesome. For those awesome. of you who want to rest your eyes, want to just close your eyes, I'm going to read you the questions. Or if you can't see, up there. Here we go. Are you ready for question number one? Bring it on. So it's a big one. How do I clearly discern if I'm either operating in or just being influenced by the Jezebel spirit? At times, I recognize that I participate in certain characteristics such as control or subtle manipulation and struggle to know if this is just a once-in-a-while behavior or if it is the Jezebel spirit. I guess it was already prearranged that I would be speaking on that one first. Um, I don't know if they've given me enough coffee yet to do that, but... Um... You were voluntold. I was that's all. It's all good. Um, well, you can go back and listen to his sermon number six. <laughs> you get the answer to that. Um, so, how can you discern if you are operating and are just being influenced by the Jezebel spirit? Um, for the most part, and I would say that quite definitely here, you are not a Jezebel. <laughs> if anybody is um, having listened to this series, kind of concerned and went, okay, I see some of those characteristics of controlling or manipulation or being an intimidating person maybe or causing fear or any of those kinds of things, I can guarantee you that you're, you might be influenced by that spirit, but you are not a Jezebel. And it would be pretty rare for that to happen. There is a Jezebel in the Old Testament, and I think she's it. But then there is that spirit um, that she walked in. And obviously we know that the, the ultimate root of any spirit, whether we differentiate it as the spirit of fear or spirit of Jezebel or any other kind of spirit, the root behind that obviously is the enemy. And the enemy walks in pride 
And so you can recognize that if by chance you are being influenced by that spirit, one, you're being influenced by the enemy, so we can just kind of take it down a notch immediately so that you do not have to be afraid of the, the, the possibility or the prospect that, hey, maybe you might be um, being influenced by some of that spirit. You can immediately take it down a notch and recognize that, one, it's the enemy and it's a spirit of pride. And so what I would say is this, if by the, if by the fact, very fact that you are actually asking the question, and I, am I being influenced by the Jezebel spirit, or am I a Jezebel, you in yourself are already starting to humble yourself before God because you're actually asking the question. Somebody who is seriously being influenced by the Jezebel spirit will not even ask the question because they're walking in such a, a great sense of pride that they are even afraid of asking that question. So if you're asking that question, one, you're already in a good spot. Um, so don't be too concerned about that. Just recognize what are those aspects that you might be walking in. And all. And I'm going to make it as simple as possible. All you do, don't question it. Don't try to reason with it because you cannot reason with a spirit. Just recognize, hey, I might be walking in a little bit of control or manipulation or fear or intimidation or whatever that might be immediately get before God and ask God to root out and remove any, any aspect of that type of behavior in your life. Um, we know that repentance before God immediately causes the enemy to have to flee um, because James 4 and 7 and says this, submit yourselves then to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. So it's really, really simple. You don't have to be afraid of having experienced those behaviors or even walked in them yourself a little bit, but what you do want to do is you want to immediately repent, submit to God, and the enemy has to flee from you. Um, one of the other aspects that I wanted to mention is, again, you can't reason with a spirit, so don't try to reason your way out of it. You have to deal with it through the Spirit of God. And um, secondly, you want to give up control. So the more you trust God's character, and not that a circumstance will turn out the way you want it to turn out, the less control you will try to take over a person or a situation. Does that make sense? So you want to immediately give up control over to God, and that's what you're doing when you're submitting to God. And then you're going to want to walk in humility because humility reveals the Jezebel spirit. Humility reveals pride. Um, So you want to walk in humility. So basically I'm going to bring humility down to a very simple concept too, and that is complete and utter dependence upon God. We were actually um, dealing with that in the worship this morning about just utterly depending on God. Only God can change this circumstance. And what we're recognizing is, God, we're here and we're on earth and we're a human and we are completely and utterly dependent upon you for even our very breath. So walking in humility is complete and utter dependence upon God. And humility is the Jezebel spirit's blind spot because pride doesn't understand humility. It thinks it's a weakness. So when you get before God and you're repenting and you're submitting before God, you may think you're in the weakest place you can be, but you're actually in the strongest place you can be because you're dealing with a spirit and you're calling on the spirit of God, something that you cannot do. You're calling on him to do for you and through you. And then I just wanted to leave you with Luke nine twenty three from the message. And it says this, then he told them what they could expect for themselves. Anyone who intends to come with me, and he's talking about Jesus, has to let me lead. You're not in the driver's seat. 
I am. So again, it's that concept of give up utter control to God, and um, you can deal with that, that spirit of Jezebel. Just to add to that, one very quick thought. Um, if you've, if we are a Pentecostal charismatic church. If you've come from a, a charismatic Pentecostal background, if you've been around churches that are too extreme in that, then they will teach you that basically look for a devil under every rock. And there is only one devil, and he's only limited to one rock. Thank you. That was a good point. Thank you very much. Here's one thing I want to just leave with you regarding this question. There's a difference between a principality and a personality. Okay? There's a difference between a principality, which is a spiritual stronghold, and a personality. We all have tendencies. If I can be honest here, we all have a personality tendency to have something in our personality that's not very likable. Right? Or it could be annoying. Or it could be frustrating. You know, do not look at your spouse right now. Don't do that. Okay? <laughs> He's talking to you, honey. I've been telling you for the last 30 years. He's talking to you. Okay? We'll leave that one. Okay. She wasn't looking at you. All right. What are some of the most common ways that a spirit of witchcraft can creep into a church and cause problems? Okay. Whenever you understand a spirit of witchcraft, the first thing you have to understand is that a spirit of witchcraft is attracted to a particular gift mix. So witchcraft will operate out of a false prophetic gift, will operate at a false, you know, uh, anything to do with prophetic or spiritual gifts, and worship's included in that. So when it comes to church life, because I believe the question was in, related to church? Into church. It just says right. into church. Creep into churches and cause problems. So there's three major groups of people that a spirit of witchcraft loves to operate through. Number one is a prophetically inclined person. Why? Because they hear from God, right? But sometimes when you hear from God, you can actually take a root of pride in that, thinking that you're something special. And as soon as you start thinking that, then witchcraft can creep in, and then you start to absolute, uh, actually manipulate people through your own agenda. Second group is this, worship. Why? Because we're trained. I mean, Carling, Rachel, Lisa, others in here could... could probably just reiterate what Sandra has shared with the worship team the last couple of years is that we have to be in tune with God's spirit. We have, to, we have to be listening to what God is saying. Well, because there's a greater emphasis on the worship team to hear what God is saying, there's also open doors because of pride that would open the door to an issue of witchcraft. The third group of people is this, people that are prayer warriors, okay? Over time, a prayer warrior actually begins to think that they hear from God above everyone else and that they hear God above whoever's leading the prayer meeting that day or the pastor or the leader or this or your small group leader. And so what happens is, is they take on this, this error. Now, it doesn't happen overnight. Usually it takes years. But it, it, it's something that can creep in. Why? Because the witchcraft spirit loves to operate in areas where the prophetic is in operation. And so those are the things that I think we would have to keep a watch out for most importantly. So, honey, as the worship director, no pressure. <laughs> Kidding! Okay. I'm not giving him the mic again. <laughs> wow. 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 <clears throat> I'm still trying to take that in. <laughs> oh, okay. So back on track. <laughs> no, I think um, 
it kind of goes along with what Ray was saying in the very beginning, too, is that if we submit ourselves to God and always stay in tune with him, um, then we're good to go because we realize that he is great. We are not. (laughs) And I often say even to my kids, I'm so glad I am not God because I don't have to figure everything out. All I need to do is I need to trust him. And so when it comes to church life, uh, so easily little things can creep in. But when we continuously humble ourselves before God and we talk to the right people, uh, because sometimes the way these things can creep into church life is when we talk to all the wrong people. Um, And so when we, and with the wrong people, I mean, sometimes we can have a concern that may be very legitimate, but very often, like we all, you've You've probably heard us say, Matthew 18, Matthew 18. (laughs) We always encourage people, if there is something in your heart that seems to be coming up with anybody within the church family, and in a family, we're here for the long haul, right? Um, And so we always encourage people, rather than let things stew and let things sit, go and talk to the person. And so I would say the majority of misunderstandings or frustrations or anything of that sort is, is solved right there at step one. And so uh, really in order to not let these kind of influences creep into our churches and our church and our family um, is communicate and be open and, and have open lines of communication. So. Okay. Can you define what the heart of an op- apostolic church is and why it is significant that Kingston is an apostolic city? Well, um, it's a pretty awesome thing when you study the, uh, the idea of the apostolic. The apostolic, in a nutshell, um, if you look at the city of Antioch in the New Testament, it was a sending and receiving city. People would come there, missionaries would come there, they would get trained, then they would get sent out. And so many things were initiated in the city of Antioch because it was a sending church. It was a training church, or a city rather, uh, where they would train up people, equip them uh, to go out and literally start uh, churches to do missions work. And so um, as far as the city is concerned, we, we believe the many, many words that have been spoken over this city, that this, this city is special. It was the original capital. Um, and there is something very significant about the city of Kingston. And so we believe that this is not just an apostolic church, but this is a city that is meant to be an apostolic city. So a sending and receiving city where people can come, be equipped, and be raised up by the Spirit of God to go out and take their place and proclaim the word um, of God in our society. And, and when you break that down into a church, to be an apostolic church is a very big mandate uh, from the Lord. But it's awesome because it's something that God has placed in the hearts of people to be a place where we literally will stand up for the word of God and the truth of God and equip people. And, and uh, uh, if you've been here for any length of time, you've probably heard us talk about the fivefold ministry. Um, and so we believe that all those five different giftings, it talks about that in Ephesians chapter 4 and 11. Um, it talks about how God gave us um, teachers, pastors, evangelists, prophets, and apostles, um, and all that to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. But an apostolic church is one that that is called to really have oversight um, and input into all those different areas. And there's a real fathering, training, sending, anointing on, on churches like that. Because one of the questions is, what's the heart of an apostolic city or a heart of an apostolic church? Um, I think the first thing that we have to understand is that a church that has a heart for the city is truly an apostolic church. 
oftentimes churches, the, the, the default mode of most churches, if we are not careful, is that we become inward focused. And we just worry about everything that's within our four walls. Um, we worry about our own stuff. And at the heart of an apostolic church is to always reach out. It's to reach the lost and to build the found. It's to reach the lost, build the found. It's both. So a city-reaching church, an apostolic church, is a church that would, that would want to have a voice at the table of discussion. It's a church that would want to be involved in serving the community and serving those that are lost in this city. Um, it's also a church that is um, a strategizing church, a, a, a church that comes up with ideas and creative ideas to witness and to win people to Christ and to also build the found. Um, it's interesting here that Kingston has three major post-secondary education places. It's Queens, St. Lawrence College, and RMC. And one of the things that I find interesting about that is the fact that training and equipping is in the very seed of this city. Very seed. And so I believe part of what our role and responsibility of, uh, is as an apostolic church is to align ourselves with an apostolic mandate and apostolic thinking. So the way we think about that is we train, we equip, we send people, whether that's sending to the other side of the world or whether that's sending to your neighbor next door. Preparing you, training you for evangelism and training you to help pastor people. Because the reality is, is Ephesians, very, Ephesians 4 is very clear that the role and the mandate of those that, that literally minister to those in the church is not on us, it's on you. And an apostolic church is one that equips and trains and releases people uh, into their destiny. They're not a church that, that increases, uh, or sorry, they're not a, a church that trains and then restrains, but they're a church that increases and then releases. Good? Um, I just have wanted to say in that regard that um, as Sandra was talking about the, the fivefold ministry, those are governmental gifts that the that God gives to his church to equip them. And so an ap- ap- apostolic church is one that is governmental. And um, only, only Christ can, can give out that governmental calling upon an individual or a church or a city because it says that the government rests upon his shoulders. So it is a church that is called by God and given that, that ability to govern. And that may look um, different in so many different settings, um, but it could be that as an apostolic church, you actually um, begin to be set up to be a governing church. You may um, end up being a leading church within your city. You may end up being a church that is very much involved in the somehow the governing of your community or your city or, or your nation. Um, the other concept, too, that I wanted to point out is that it's given power and authority to represent Jesus Christ and to share the gospel. So you are empowered by Jesus Christ, who is the one that pours out that government upon you to do the very work that he's called you to do, no matter what circumstance you're facing. Whether the circumstances seem like it's out of your control, or it's going to be very difficult, or it's dark. So, for example, the political arena in which we are living in, an apostolic church, God would empower us uh, to bring the gospel with the mandate and the power and the authority of the name of Jesus Christ to deal with those circumstances, 
but we just do it within wisdom. And then an apostolic church is one that sets in order. So often when you see the apostles in the New Testament, what they were doing was they were literally setting in order wherever they went the doctrine of Jesus Christ so that everything would line up with what Jesus had said and taught when he was here on earth. So the apostolic church does the same thing. They often come in and they set in order. Maybe the gospel is there, but it has kind of gotten off the pathway a little bit. An apostolic church, without even meaning to, they just happen to bring those guidelines back. They bring things back in order. It's almost like a plumb line. Uh, For those that are builders here, Damon, you'd understand that, that concept of a plumb line. Jesus is the chief cornerstone. It's the cornerstone that's put in first to bring it solidification and stability and correct um, alignment. And that's what an apostolic uh, individual or church does. It brings things in order. It sets it into alignment with the work of God. Um, And we're master builders. Apostolic churches are master builders. So Okay, that leads nicely into this next question. How do we help the city choose the right path? When we stand up and draw a line in the sand and then come under persecution, how do we help the city or individuals choose? Um, we play a game called Survivor. And, um, and, or, or not. <laughs> you are the weakest link. Goodbye. Um, no, we won't do that either. Here, here's the key. Can we change anybody? No. Who, who does? The Holy Spirit. So we have to align ourselves with the words of Christ, the heart of Christ, and we have to continue to declare the words of Christ with the heart of Christ in every circumstance and situation. I want to just read a quote to you I came across uh, this week that I thought was really, really cool, and I believe this is the heart that we all need to have in everything that we're involved with in our lives. It's a quote by the author, Tommy Tenney, which one of my favorite books, The God Chasers. Uh, it says this, Jesus served with the heart of a king, but ruled with the heart of a servant. Royalty is my identity. Servanthood is my assignment. I'm going to read it again. Jesus served with the heart of a king, but ruled with the heart of a servant. Royalty is my identity. Servanthood is my assignment. So what we need to do is we need to consistently be the, the hands and feet of Jesus. We need to be the voice of Jesus. And we need to be prayerfully uh, taking everything to God that the Holy Spirit would move and speak in every situation. The reality is this, is that we cannot in, our, in and of our, ourselves do anything to change anyone's mind. But the Spirit of God can break off the blinders and cause people to see something that five seconds ago they didn't see. But the cool thing with God is he can do it in an instant. Where for us, it usually takes years of convincing. I'm not against apologetics. I think you need to know your word and you need to be able to uh, defend the faith. I believe in that. Rabbi Zacharias is a great example of that. Um, but at the end of the day, it's about aligning ourselves with God's words, his way of living, his heart for people, and being consistent. And when we're doing that, we have to trust that the Holy Spirit will move and speak into people's lives. Um, I'm probably going to get a little contentious here, and I'm, you can, you know, put on the boxing gloves at the back. <laughs> we'll get in the ring together at the end. Um, can I say this? Facebook um, is a very detrimental commu- way of communicating. Um, something that I see constantly that actually it does not line up with the Word of God is that 
within our within our democratic society, um, we put out that concept that you that we all have that freedom of voice and opinion, and I do not um, disagree with that in any way, shape, or form. However, the kingdom of God and the word of God says that there are guidelines and that there are ways in which we choose to communicate with one another. And um, what I happen to see is um, many people, whether they are Christian or they're just calling themselves Christians, um, only God knows, but if there is an issue that they have within their church or within their community or society or just in Christianity as a whole, um, somehow they're choosing to try to correct the church and correct other Christians through um, harsh criticism and negativity towards Christians on Facebook or blogging or whatever it might be. That's, that's okay. I understand that you have a voice and an opinion, and, and we do have that, um, but we always have to bring it into the guidelines um, within the Bible and, and allow God to reveal to us how and in what tone we are to graciously correct one another. And I can guarantee you God did not say, go on Facebook <laughs> and tear apart my bride. Um, if we have an issue, he always calls us to to speak with people one-on-one, to deal with them in a very gracious and loving way at the same time that we're giving truth. And if we as a people want to reach our city, if we want to reach our communities, I can guarantee you that allowing all of your friends and, and, and everybody on Facebook and to share it and blogging and all that kind of stuff, it's not going to win anybody to Christ. And I can guarantee you that it's not going to correct the church. It's not going to correct that Christian that might be sitting in the back row, but you want to somehow try to get to them. It's not going to correct anybody in another church to do it that way. There are um, other ways and other guidelines in which the Bible teaches us to, to walk in. And, um, you know, sometimes we try to change a community or a city or friendships um, in a very negative and critical way instead of in a very graceful and truth-filled way and and with that concept of relationship. So the only thing that I would add is you need to have a relationship with your city. So whatever you can do, volunteer, as he said, serve your city. Have a relationship with your city. Let them see how you're loving and walking that truth out, not only inwardly but outwardly, so that they can have that example and that influence put before them. And what that does is it challenge challenges your city to rise to another level. Does that make sense? Yeah, okay. All right. That was a great segue, actually, Ray. You touched on this next question, but maybe you guys could expand. How do we express that we love individuals but don't support their acts of sin? Um, again, the Bible has called us. Um, there's a verse, I, I believe it's in First Thessalonians, that says, as much as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. And so our calling is to be loving uh, to as much as we can live at peace with everybody. And so regardless of someone else's actions toward us, we have to always do what Jesus said, which is to be the bigger person, uh, to choose to love. And he even said to love our enemies, right? And so um, can I see the phrasing of the question again? So when we don't support a person's act of sin, uh, one of the most powerful things we can do is to, you've probably heard the old saying, Love the sinner, not the sin. 
Um, but it's so true because if we can come to someone, show them, like Ray said, that we have a relationship with them, that we care for them, there's going to be much more of an open door to hear about what they're not doing that's, or what they're doing that's out of alignment. But we can love somebody regardless of what they do. And love is powerful. And so in the end, love conquers all things. Love will reveal all things. So if we can, um, can display the heart of Jesus who spoke the truth with love, um, then we can come to that place where we can love someone without necessarily condoning or supporting a sinful behavior. I'm... Uh... I'm going to put on my social work hat again. If that's okay, I did it a couple weeks ago, I'm going to do it again. Um, From a social work standpoint, um, and I think there's a lot of validity to this, in our culture, whether it's on news media, whether it's with our friendships, our relationships, there's three uh, main lenses that people look through uh, in order to determine what they think or believe about particular subjects or, or situations. The first one is what I'm going to call the integrity lens. Uh, it deals with the sacred integrity of truth. It's, at the end of the day, it's about truth. Um, but there's, obviously, in the Christian world, there's a lot of people that would have that as their, as their main lens. So I'm not here making a statement one way or the other. I just want to show you how people look through things. Um, those people usually have a very clear line in their minds. They've got a very clear line as far as thought, manner, sin, behavior, all those things. The second lens that people look through is what I'm going to call a disability lens. Um, And this is not necessarily my words. This is actually from a psychiatrist, so I'm just flow with me for a second, and I'm going to bring it all together at the end. But a disability lens sees the problem that someone is facing or going through as a result of living in a fallen world, not necessarily a direct result of a moral choice, okay? And so the strength of people that live with a disability mindset is, is they have compassion, for people's circumstance or situation. I mean, we could pretty much use any issue that is hot topic issue in our culture today. You can start to see how certain groups of people start to view particular issues. The third group of people will use what they call a diversity lens. And a diversity lens sees an issue or a topic as something to be celebrated, honored, or revered. Why? Because the root issue of of a diversity lens is that people want to feel like they belong. So, How do we deal with those three things? Uh, There's two things I want you to catch with this. Number one is you have to understand when you're talking to someone, which lens they're looking through. Because when you understand what lens they're looking through, you can help to understand what the core root issue that they're really trying to grasp is. So if someone is looking through a diversity lens and all you hear is they should be honored and revealed and we should support it, that's not what you need to hear. What you need to hear is they're longing to feel a place of belonging and acceptance. And so we can address that issue. We don't take it from another issue. We don't get our integrity lens on and see nothing else through that and go, how dare you? You're in sin, you're in sin, you're in sin. I have news for you, sinner's sin. That's what they do, okay? Sinner's sin. So they're really good at it. And most people that are sinning don't know they are. Because our culture has declared to them that it's not a sin, it's a condition. Or it's not a sin, it's this, or it's that, it's that. So instead of getting upset about what people don't agree with us on, we have to understand that in those three lenses, there's three things that we have to hold dear to that are just as much a part of the Christian faith. Now, I personally would not stand in the diversity lens because we understand that you cannot celebrate sin, right? 
But unfortunately, if I can be honest this morning, there's far too many people in the integrity lens in the church that don't see anything outside of truth. And truth is good, but man, we've got to have compassion because these people don't feel like they belong. So there's an issue of acceptance and belonging that they don't feel, and that only comes when we compassionately respond to a truthful principle. We good? Okay. Matthew 5.44 says, But I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. How do we love someone's how do we love someone who acts like Jezebel to us, yet stop them from controlling us? Why do we want to bless them if that could potentially empower them more? What would loving Jezebel look like? Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start with a thought, and I want you to hear me. I just want to hear the thought, and then I'm going to pass it to Sandra, because she is all-knowing. <laughs> Husbands, take note. Take note of that great wisdom. Anyhow, think about this for a second. Would King David label one of his soldiers as an Amalekite if they fell into an Amalekite's trap? Absolutely not. Yet that's what we do. You're a Jezebel. I've labeled you. Now I have to disconnect. Labels are meant for the back of shirts. That's it, okay? That's what we have to do. Labels are meant for the back of shirts, and even then, who really cares? Who cares if it's, you know, wherever your shirt is from? The point is this, is uh, if we label people in our minds right away, it's going to create a very difficult time for us because in our minds now, we've put our our certain lens on and we are not going to budge from that. And the problem with that is people who feel labeled can't be loved into that place of healing. The reality is, is the, the house uh, that God calls is a house of restoration. This is a house of restoration. So we have to believe God that every type of person is going to come in here because the capability of someone being healed and restored is far greater here than down the road at their own friend's house, talking about how bad Christians are. And I think this is an awesome verse because it's Jesus telling us what to do. It's, it's unconventional, and it's not how we think or how we would naturally respond or react. Yet he calls us to live higher. He calls us to make the right choice. And so um, in my experience, uh, a couple of things that I've learned in my journey is that when someone is... Um, like this verse is talking about persecuting us or, or doing something wrongful to us. Naturally, we go, Shh. right? Okay, no one, no one does that. Okay, so, but natural human emotion would tend to go, what are you doing? Right? So, um, <laughs> try to write that down in your notes. Um, <laughs> but, <laughs> um, but Jesus says, don't react Instead, we need to respond. And so I believe that when Jesus says these words, and they're incredibly powerful words, what he is calling us to is to see, again, the heart of compassion for each and every individual. Um, Some of you may have heard the saying, hurt people, hurt people. 
And many, many, many times the people that are persecuting others or hurting others or lashing out at others are hurting inside themselves. And so one thing that I've learned in my life is to develop a heart of prayer for the person that is doing something wrong to you. Because at first you may be praying these, well, Lord, (laughs) Jesus, you are all powerful. (laughs) You know, no, never, never those kinds of prayers. But, you know, sometimes we have a hard time. <laughs> That's why I have the mic. <laughs> but, but sometimes we have a hard time with our own heart, if we can be honest, when someone's wronging us. And we want to pray those prayers. But what I would encourage all of us to do is to start, start to say, Lord, I ask that you would speak to that person's heart heal their hurt because so many times those things that are coming out of a person is because they are hurting. And the more you pray for that person, the more your own heart starts changing toward them and you become a person of compassion and a person of love. And the other thing too is there's nothing as powerful as love to disarm your enemy. And when you love and choose to love despite what they're doing and not condoning what they're doing, but love, and if I can say this, love with boundaries. Boundaries is a good thing in relationships. And if someone is consistently hurting you or wronging you, then it is okay to set up a boundary and say, I'm going to love you with the love of Jesus. I'm going to show kindness in my action towards you. But there is sometimes a time where you have to draw a line and say, this is the boundary that is going to, uh, to make sure that we have a healthy relationship so that you don't empower them, but yet you love them, right? And so um, it's, it's one of those things where we have to get our heart right before God. Because when we do... Yeah. Many of you have heard this concept of there's a difference between submission and obedience, right? You can ask your your child to go take out the garbage and they obey you, but their heart is not submitted. So they do it with you know, inside. They're like, I don't care. I don't want to do this. They're walking the whole way to the side of the curb, carrying the garbage. So they're obeying you, but their heart's far from you. And unfortunately, I would say this in many cases in, chur- in the church world, I would say not here, but in many cases in the church world, um, we obey God by praying for people or by helping people, but our hearts are awful on the inside. And people can smell a phony or that you are a project to them a mile away. So we have to love sincerely. The I think it's 1 Peter 4. talks about to love from a sincere heart. And I love that. Uh, again, that doesn't mean we don't have boundaries. We need boundaries, but we need to be sincere. Um, just one thing I wanted to add to that, and I love it. It's um, a quote from Robert Morris, and he says, always be gracious with the person but not the spirit that's behind what they're doing or behaving like. So when you're dealing with somebody, you're always going to be gracious with them. You're going to meet them where they're at. You're going to um, help and guide and to teach and advise along the way. But then you can go into your prayer closet and then you can be as ferocious with the spirit uh, that is enacting behind them as you choose to be before God. Um, But make sure you're always um, being gracious to the person. What do we as a church have to guard against in order to not become religious or operate out of religion? Um, So a couple of my thoughts on that one was the concept that um, 
and and we can kind of fall into this actually as Christians, um, just unknowingly, especially if we've been Christians for a while, is that um, when we start to be start walking in just principles and not in a relationship with God, then we start to move towards rules and regulations and traditions, things that we become comfortable with. Um, our security zone, <laughs> Sandra and I were talking about slippers being a security zone. Um, uh, so. You know, even Jesus, when he was speaking to the Pharisees, who were the most religious people of their day, and they had multiple rules and traditions in which they required not only themselves but others to live by, and they were seen as a very holy people, that they were very rules-oriented. Jesus said to them, you search the scriptures trying to find me, but you will not come to me. So, you know, if we're, if we're starting to move towards a place where we're like, I know I should, I know I ought, God said to do this, this, and this, and so I'm going to put those things into place, and you're very stringent about those things, um, and you do put them into place, but then you're starting to look toward other people and go, well, I do this, why don't you do that? You should be doing this, you should be lining up with that, and there's absolutely starting to be no grace um, within your thought process towards yourself or towards others, and you're starting to move towards a, re- a religion, you're, tr- you're starting to move towards rules and regulations, and just working within a set of principles instead of a relationship with God. Um, so that's one thing you can kind of uh, take a look at. And then the, that other concept of, um, you know, when we were speaking about the, the spirit of Jezebel in Revelations, it says she taught the people to commit sexual immorality and idolatry. Idolatry, you can sum that in our day as outward actions and sexual immorality as inward actions. So you want to make sure that your inward is matching your outward, and your outward is matching your inward, so that there's a balance between the two. And when you're walking with that balance of inward thoughts and attitudes being lined up with God, and your outward actions being lined up with God, then you can probably know that you're walking in that sense of balance of grace and truth, um, compared to just one or the other, either all grace or no grace and all religion rules and regulations. If I can add just one quick thing to that is God is a God of order and God is a God of freedom. And so we slip into a religious um, pattern if we go to one extreme or the other. If we say, well, it's all about order, order, order and structure and order. Or if we say, well, it's all about freedom and we need to be free, free, free and, and allow chaos to happen. So ultimately, how do we... Uh, come to a place where we're not falling into the trap of religion. It's when first and foremost we have relationship with Christ and when we realize that there is a balance between order and freedom. And if we have relationship with Christ, we're going to find that balance every time. Okay, we have two more questions. How can you discern a counterfeit or dangerous person in your life? How do you confront a person who's operating out of a spirit that is contrary to the Holy Spirit? Um, well, the Bible says that a tree is known by its fruit. And so when it comes to someone who is counterfeit or saying that they're one thing but acting a different way, what I always encourage people to do is look at the fruit of their life. Uh, Because there's a lot of so-called Christians out there uh, that can say all the right things, quote the Bible even, um, or behave a certain way in church. But then when you look at their life or the fruit of their life, oftentimes you'll see either... Um, 
chaos that surrounds them or sometimes uh, um, those traps that we've talked about throughout this series of whether it's control or manipulation or those kind of things. But very quickly, you will see what a person truly is like by examining the fruit of their life. And remember that fruit is developed over time. And so there could be little spurts of, of behaviors that come in during that time that are concerning but over time, you will see the fruit of a person's life. And the fruit ripens as your roots go deeper. Um, very simple thing, but there's a very simple way to tell the difference between what is real and what is counterfeit. You ready for it? A real, genuine person will always point you to Jesus. A counterfeit will always point you to themselves. Every time. So you'll need them to hear from God. You need to go because they have the solution and the answer to everything in life. Um, they are usually masking their own counterfeit giftedness because of deep insecurity. And so we need to love those counterfeits, right? Um, but it's the easiest way to tell the difference. A, a real, genuine person, it's always about Christ. You could, you could even thank them for caring for you, and, you'd be like, and they'd be just like, oh, it's all about Jesus, man. It's not about me. And you're going to hear that from people. And for uh, those that are counterfeits, they are after a following. Real, real believers are after following Jesus, but counterfeits want a following, following them. All right. Okay, last, last question. Last one, whammy. Here we go. This is a big one. As pastors of Impact Church, what do you feel like we need to do as a church going forward? I think we need our own T-shirts uh, that say... Um, <laughs> You know, if we have our own color-corded T-shirts, I think that would set us apart. You know, it would, wow. It's just awesome. Um, I, you know, I've highlighted many times in our equip classes that, you know, what makes us so special is our own pens with our own logo on it. It's, I'm kidding. Anyhow, um, here, here's really where I think where it would land for me personally, and feel free to throw on your two cents, and we're going to, we're going to bring this to a conclusion. The reality is, at the end of the day, um, we don't do a series like this because we are scaring anybody. We're not doing a series like this because we feel like the enemy is too big and too strong for us to overcome. We do a series like this because we have to become aware of the enemy's devices. The Bible says, do not be ignorant of the enemy's devices. So once we become aware of it, now we can, in a sense, purposely walk forward with our eyes wide open. That doesn't mean we're looking for a devil under every rock because he's only under one, okay? Here's what I believe that we need to do going forward. What does it mean to be a city-reaching church? If we were to define what does it mean to be a city-reaching church, what does it mean to be an apostolic church? What does it mean to be a church that uh, lives the kingdom principles? What does it mean to be a church that uh, believes in uh, a city coming to Christ and has faith to believe for a city coming to Christ? What does it mean to be a group of people that love Jesus so much that we allow him to transform our hearts, our thinking, and our mindsets so that we align ourselves with his plans and his purposes for the city and not ours? I think at the end of the day, the one thing I keep landing on for myself personally, had this conversation with a pastor a couple weeks ago. I said, you know what really bothers me and in a sense it rocks my world all the time is that when God called us to to start Impact Church, I've never once in the history of coming here felt like God was calling us to just plant Impact Church. I love Impact Church. I love you guys. But I love this city as much as I love this church. And somehow from the very first moment I felt like Kingston was the place for us, 
I would literally be driving to Kingston, and I know it's going to sound hokey pokey to some of you, but that's okay. I'm weird anyway, so it's all good. But I would literally, on the 401, drive past the city of Kingston sign on the 401, and I would start weeping for the city. And I'm like, God, what are you doing? And, and I kept coming back to it. God loves the city of Kingston. This is the limestone city. He wants to proclaim blessing over the limestone city the same way he pronounces blessing over that limestone mountain we talked about last week. The reality is, is God loves the city. God is a lot more interested in humanity as a whole, I think, than he is just in our own individual vision or goal. Um, I want to encourage you guys as an individual, but also as part of Impact Church, what does it mean to be a city-reaching Christian? What does it mean to be a city-reaching church? I want to challenge you guys. Pray about that. Think about that. Because that's where our hearts have gone. I, I, when I hear that, I go, you know, what do, what, what do we need to do as a church going forward? I think the first step is we need to think like a city-reaching church. And when we think like that, we're going to start doing things that are in alignment with acting like a city-reaching church. And I want to say this. We already do it, which is awesome. But I just feel like we're going to expand that. I feel like one of the biggest keys that we need to step into right now, if I can challenge us as a church, the biggest key is be unashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I think we need to become evangelists everywhere we go. We need to invite people to church every time we see somebody. We need to invite people to our connect groups or our small groups, or we need to you know, get people coming to one of these, uh, these outreach events in the city, get people connected to godly people that can have a positive influence in their life. Because the more that we evangelize and we tell people about the truth of Scripture, I think what we're going to see is we're going to see a city come to Christ. And it's going to come in some pretty amazing ways. Um. What I would say is this, is when you're thinking about um, the city of Kingston, think about yourself and that you are the city of Kingston. Judith, you're the city of Kingston. You're one person representing somebody here in Kingston. You live in a home with your family, and they represent Kingston. Scott, you live in a home. You represent Kingston. Each and every individual here is the city of Kingston, So when you're thinking about reaching your city, think about reaching your neighbor. Think about reaching that friend, that coworker, that family member. And as you do, you will be reaching the city of Kingston. So as we go forward as a a church, think as individuals that as the city of Kingston, I'm reaching the city of Kingston by reaching one other person. And um, one of the the scriptures that really hit me this morning when we were, I was just kind of contemplating this question um, is Isaiah 61, and, um, and it says it's the year of the Lord's favor, favor. So trust that the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on us because the Lord has anointed us to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent us to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God. And so basically that's just solidifying that we have a calling to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ in this city 
So what that looks like, how we choose to do that will change. Um, it will be different for every individual, perhaps, within the church even. But even as, um, as um, a unit, when we go forward, the way we choose to give the gospel to the city may look different, but our mandate to the city is to give the gospel. And um, my suggestion is this, is that we seek where God is moving and we watch to see where he's moving, and then we meet him there. An example of that would be exactly what we talked about this morning, about the school makeover, the Hands of Hope that we do at Christmas, the back-to-school bash, the Easter extravaganza. Is, is the Rideau Heights not something that just keeps coming up for us over and over and over again over the years? And what I've put into my own personal life is to watch and listen and see where is God moving and then meet him there. If it's coming up over and over again, that's something where God is saying, that's where I'm putting my finger. That's where my heart pulse is. Meet me there. And, he, and I literally f- sense and feel like he's constantly bringing Rito Heights to our hearts. So to me, that's that's where he's moving. Let's meet him there. We already are. Let's continue to do that. Let those, pro- let those projects grow and increase and expand um, in that regard. Sanders is going to share her one f- final thought from the piano. Um, it's pretty powerful, actually, thought that she's had. God just was speaking to her this week and really showed her something pretty profound. Yeah. Go ahead. You ready? Um, I was reading in Second Chronicles um, this week, and it really, this story, I've read it before, but I've never read it in this context. Um, it talks about King Asa. He was uh, a king, a good king that reigned in Judah. And for those of you who like your kind of genealogies, uh, Cameron has referenced Jehoshaphat a few times. And this was actually Jehoshaphat's father. And so he came in to reign in Judah. And one of the things that King Asa did is he started, um, he commanded Judah, rather, to seek the Lord and to observe the law and his commandments. So what did he do? He brought truth back to a nation that had walked astray from truth, and they no longer saw the truth. And so he reestablished truth in the land. And what is so awesome about that is as a result, it says that God gave him rest. Uh, God gave the land rest on every side. And so they're in this place where literally they had no war, they had no opposition because God supernaturally gave them rest. Uh, but then this very interesting thing, little, little thing happened. Um, there was um, an Ethiopian army that all of a sudden came marching against them. And in this Ethiopian, Ethiopian army, there was one million soldiers. And in Old Testament history, that is the largest army ever recorded in the Old Testament. So all of a sudden, he, um, now King Asa reigned over Judah and Benjamin. Those are two very small tribes. Judah actually um, means praise as a, as a little tidbit. But he ruled over two small tribes. And so they're facing this army of one million soldiers. And I think this is pretty awesome because I was looking at that and seeing what was your strategy. And it says in Second Chronicles chapter 14, verse 11, And Asa cried out to the Lord as they're lining up against this army of a million people. And Asa cried out to the Lord his God and said, Lord, it is nothing for you to help, whether with many or with those who have no power. Help us, O Lord God, and listen to his strategy. 
for we rest on you. And in your name, we go against this multitude. O Lord, you are our God. Do not let man prevail against you. And if you read on what happens in the story, and it's awesome because he literally says, God, we are going to rest on you. And a couple of verses later, it says, And Asa and the people who were with them uh, came against the Ethiopians, and it says, The Lord struck the Ethiopians before Asa and Judah, and they could not recover, for they were broken before the Lord and his army. And God really spoke to me this week and said, it doesn't matter how big the enemy may seem. Ephesians 6.12 says that we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. And so we need to realize that we may be facing a multitude, we may be facing an army, we may be facing a big enemy, but if we choose to rest on God, listen to him and get his strategy and literally trust him, then he will proclaim the victory over us, over our lives, over our church, and over this city. Thank you for taking the time to listen to one of our messages from Impact Church. We hope and trust that this message encouraged you. If you want to find out more information about our church, check us out online at www.impactkingston.com. 